We never really worked in an investment bank, so we, that was actually kind of a hindrance when we first began. But as years have gone by, I think we've picked up a lot of credibility by trading our own money and also attention to risk. Having traded your own money, we've always been very careful about risk. We've never had a bank's balance sheet to keep backing us and paying us a salary. We've, we've had to be very careful. I think people over the years have got to know us and, and, and respect that, those facts. And also, we've built our own infrastructure. Nothing's off the shelf. Nothing's like what you would have in an investment bank, for instance. It's pretty much built by us. Being different is not so easy in the crowded space of systematic trading. But nevertheless, it can be important if you want people to pay attention to what you do. This was a clear motivating factor for today's guest when he was just starting out. Trading differently, using a less crowded time horizon, and perhaps most importantly, targeting a risk level in a very different and perhaps even unique way has certainly helped his firm to be noticed by institutional investors around the globe. Welcome back to Top Traders Unplugged, where the best traders in the world come to share their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Let's rejoin the conversation with your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. One of our quants and he'll go and actually properly program it in uh, and we'll backtest extensively over all our markets. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, go back through it for debugging, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, then what we do, we, we then follow it um, hypothetically. Mm -hmm. uh, we usually wait for it to go back through watermark before we even consider putting it back in the port in the real portfolio just to give it an extra bit of confirmation mm -hmm. uh, maybe like a forward test you could call it in a way uh, so that's kind of how we operate sure sure and um, you talked about certain models that you like I think uh, certainly part of the audience uh, that are listening are, are people who obviously aspire to someone like you uh, and, 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 and are very interested in the The trading uh, aspect uh, of things, uh, which clearly is is, uh, is is something that you also enjoy, but nowadays there are so many indicators. I mean, you can I don't know count this of indicators, and everybody claims that they have the best indicator, and and so on and so forth. As a general rule, and you don't have to be super specific, but as a general rule. Have you come across some indicators that you just think seems to be more consistent, more reliable um, compared to others, uh, so to speak? You know, indicators that are sort of the, the more commercial type indicators that, that that a lot of these systems will will make use of, of course. Um, not really. <laughs> so what really... do you? So okay. So so how do you go about that? I mean, what kind of indicators? do you have to uh, use if, 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 if any, or maybe we can okay, add so, into that. Oh, oh, okay. I would say that momentum in a certain formats useful. Right. And obviously guess moving averages are useful in the sense that you get the general gist of the trend. Right. But I mean, however you slice and dice it, let's say a trend following system, you want to be, you have to be long at the highs, right? Yeah. So there's various different ways. One is building an indicator to give you that which mm. would be probably moving average. Um, but there's other ways of doing things if you don't even, if you don't create an indicator, I guess there's other ways of doing it, of ident identifying when a market moves essentially. Sure, sure. And uh, I guess because of your short-term nature, everything you do is based on, on tick data or, or do you, are there any of the models that actually only rely on end-of-day data or how do, you, how do you diversify across uh, that side? No, we we use dictator for everything. You know, sometimes we'll make up different time frame charts just to see if the system's good over different time frames. So we'll make like a set of thirty second bar up or whatever, or one minute bar. Sure, sure. And um, when you get a trigger uh, of a of of a model, do they just jump right in, or do they scale in? How how what have you found to to be the best way of getting into a trade nowadays? Well, I've seen that, yeah, that depends on the market, how liquid the market is. But at the moment, because of our size, because we've got quite a few iterations, um, 
you don't tend to have to uh, use any TWAP or VWAP or anything like that. We do a little bit on some of the more illiquid markets, but generally we can um, usually go to market on the entry. Sure, sure. As long as, yeah. And you mentioned uh, this, this, the stop being, uh, you know, time-based. Does that mean it's time-based for everything you do or do you actually use different kind of stop rules uh, and i'm not talking about the hard stop here i'm just talking about the sort of the exit uh, side of things yeah exits all exits are time-based right you know in trend following i think that uh, one part of trend following is a little bit underestimated and that's really the position sizing uh, of trades i think uh, people don't Uh, perhaps give it enough importance um, in terms of what really drives performance, uh, certainly for long-term trend followers. What about the short-term space? How how important is the actual position sizing? Do you think in terms of uh, you know the overall uh, you know performance driver, if I can put it that way? Yeah, I know what you're getting at there. Not too much, and and and. And the thing is, with short-term trading, you know, there are liquidity issues. So we do, we do sometimes put caps in. So even if if it's saying we should be trading X, we'll mm. do it at less than X. Uh, but I get what you mean there in long-term trade, tra- uh, long-term trend following. You know, how much, how much of the PL is actually due to the fact that you've got so much size on because the volatility has decreased, yeah. and you happen to be at the start of a great trend with with loads of size on, and then the market expands. You know, how much of the alpha is actually because of that and not because of the actual tick movement in the market. Yeah, and, and, and in a sense, I mean, um, um, you know, having the right size is how I would describe it because, uh, you know, it's not always necessarily about, you know, loading up. I mean, it could actually be, you know, having very little on uh, because uh, at least in, in long-term trend following, most of the trades are, are losing trades. So it's, it's kind of good. But having the right size on, I think, is is really important. But on that subject, actually, What's your trade uh, stats like? I mean, how much winning versus losing percentage do you see in in in, in your style? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's it's, def- it's it's more sort of like I would say seventy percent uh, losers, so thirty okay. yeah thirty forty percent winners. Okay. Yeah, it's not it's not anything like fifty fifty. It's it's okay. a bit like a trend follower in a way. Yeah. Oh, that's surprising, actually. I, I thought it would be different when you're sort of more in the short-term uh, short term space. Um, just our curiosity, I mean, let's assume you've now crossed the $100 million mark. Let's assume that all wins in 2015 will blow with the CTA world and lots of investors will come back in the space and some of them, you know, no doubt will come to you. How much AUM um, can you handle in your style of trading? Yeah, so we get we get asked that all the time. I'm so. sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if if we were to go up, we could go up to say 200, 300 tomorrow. That's no problem, right? If you were to give me a billion tomorrow, no way. Sure. So, but we can do it over time. It just we just need more operational yeah structure. We need to do more iterations of what we're doing and be a little bit clever in the execution. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we've no doubt we can trade over a billion. Sure. It's just if you gave it us now, no way. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, anyway, I'm not in the position to uh, to give it to you today, anyway. So, uh, but let's shift gear to another very important uh, topic, which I think actually is where, again, one of the differences I've noticed uh, about you. Um, it's risk management. First of all, I'd love to uh, for you to to just define for 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 me and for for the listeners, how do you define risk? How do we define risk? Um, so what we do on the portfolio basis, we actually, we try and, we try and start with a set amount of risk we want to take on the portfolio. We've set that at 10% arbitrarily. Right. We don't, we're not really targeting a, a, a volatility level. No. Nope. We actually target a, a, a maximum draw on the portfolio because this is basically how I used to trade discretionary. If I started in, in my account getting down to a certain amount of money, I would reduce my exposure and trade very small until I started winning again and put my size up. So, I'd, And if you do that, you can always pretty much cap your drawdown. Okay. Uh, so what we do, yeah, so we, we set our max draw to 10%, and then we allocate risk off to all our systems 
uh, by dividing the number of systems by that 10%. Mm-hmm. So that, that's essentially how we do it. And it, like I said, how I, in how I used to trade, we apply that methodology to our individual systems. So if a system draws down to uh, max, its historical maximum draw, mm-hmm. what we'll do, we'll harvest exposure. Right. If, if, it, if it goes to twice its maximum draw, then to us, it probably means that we've done something wrong or the system's failing mm-hmm. and we'll completely reduce the exposure to that particular system. So that, that in a way gives you a, a very methodical way of eliminating systems. Now, what also what we do is we still continue to monitor hypothetically the system that's gone to twice max draw. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if eventually that goes through watermark, then we revisit the system. We see, okay, maybe we over-optimized it or something. It's still a good system. It's still making money. We just got our risking wrong. Um, that's only happened once, right. but, uh, but that method's in place. It enab- enables you to get rid of systems, uh, individual systems, in a, in a in a predetermined way, mm-hmm. and then obviously we can introduce and allocate risk to new systems as as we introduce as we uh, research new ones and bring them in. Sure, sure. Um, so, did you say that taking out a system completely had only happened once, meaning it went to double its max drawdown, and you had no, to take sorry, it out? No, okay. sorry, I was saying it's only happened once where it's gone to maximum draw, and then we've continued to watch it, and it's gone okay. through watermark. Okay. Um, and yeah. does the, 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 you know, for a system to meet its maximum drawdown and get halved in its allocation, does that happen frequently? Not very often. It's okay. happened to a few of our systems. Um, don't get me wrong; that the, the method's not perfect. Obviously, you can get whips, or you could, you know, you could cut it at the wrong time, and then it goes. Of course, sure. But you know that you have to have some sort of method. No, I think yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. And and you know, your method seems. Uh, you know, I, what I find interesting about it is the fact that you're targeting a maximum drawdown, and and that in itself actually is a bit difficult. Um, because we never know exactly what the market's going to give us. And actually, I guess 2013 was a very good example where uh, you had uh, essentially managers who've been around for 20, 30 years um, meeting their max drawdown, <laughs> but not just by you know a few percent. They were way beyond their previous max drawdown. So you know, so these things do happen. And 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 I guess the only thing you can say is that. Your max drawdown is always in front of you. It's not behind you. Um, yeah. So, so unfortunately, have, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. So, <laughs> uh, you know. So, but I find that that's a fascinating and and and, and different way of doing it. So, uh, but as you say, there's no wrong or right. It's just a, a method, uh, of 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 course. Yeah. Um, so having a ten percent number. Why why did you come up with ten percent? Was there anything? Re- uh, <laughs> that was just I think more to do with the exposure I had at the time when we started the, the uh, program mm. and you know, it was probably what I was willing to risk. <laughs> yeah, sure. And have you, have you reached this level at some point, the 10%? Yeah, we have reached it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what happened then? I mean, were you just trading incredibly small because a lot of systems were, were sort of meeting their, their, their drawdowns or how yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly that. So yeah, a portion were, you know, uh, quite reduced. Um, we have a layer on the overall portfolio as well. So if that, if, if, if we draw down on the overall portfolio, we reduce as well, even if the existing systems, uh, the, the ones that are doing well are doing well, we still reduce those as well. So we have sort of a double layer there. And uh, yeah, so it, we reduced, and then as as time went by and things started to perform, we reintroduced uh, some more size there. Sure, sure, excellent. And um, in terms of correlations, when you're doing short-term trading, is the is the correlation between models or correlation between markets what's most important for you? Uh, a bit of both, but more importantly, between models. Mm. Yeah, you know, so we. It's no good if we come up with a new system is pretty much correlated to exist to existing systems. You know, we, we might add a little bit in, but it's not really going to cut the mustard. You know. Sure. I want to jump to a, a slightly different topic, but related to what we talked about just before, which is really you know drawdowns in 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 general. And I've just got a couple of things that I wanted to to hear your reaction to. Uh, firstly, 
the drawdown that you mentioned where you did reach your 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 10% um target um what did you learn from that experience um well we learned that what we put in place works mm-hmm. and don't deviate from it mm-hmm. um that was the, the biggest thing really uh and and be patient because markets always come back something always happens volatility always picks up again at some point you know so just 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 stay focused and uh you know research more and more but you know eventually markets do come back into life there's a you know, there's a reason they exist because there's always risk in the environment somewhere mm. lurking sure and um i mean <laughs> I guess this is sort of an obvious question, but I'm not entirely sure what the answer is. What happens if you go beyond the 10 percent? Because we can't really control these things, and and I guess you can't really keep cutting, or maybe you can. I mean, uh, but then again, at some point, you can't really trade, and then you can't recover. So, how does that dynamic work? Uh, which is a little bit different from a traditional uh, way of looking at where people don't do what you do by by cutting smaller and smaller. They just wait for the next opportunities, but they will probably take them with the same amount of risk that they had before. How, how do you deal with that uh, situation where you end up going? You know, at your max drawdown and and maybe beyond that, I guess. Well, I mean, if it got to a state where we were going through our maximum draw on very very little size, yeah, it'd probably indicate that something is completely wrong with every single system we've built, <laughs> and it's okay. probably time to call it a day. <laughs> uh, that's that's how I'd answer that question. Right. Probably highly unlikely. Sure. Uh, sure. Because we're always researching new stuff, but uh, you know, that, that's how I would approach that question. Right. Fair enough. And in terms of uh, drawdowns from a from a different point of view, and and that's the emotional side. I know you're systematic, but you know we're all human beings. Um, is ten percent something that you don't really worry about? Because in many minds, I think people would say ten percent is not really a big drawdown. I mean, it's something you can lose on your stock portfolio in in a couple of days, really. So, um, so the emotional side of a drawdown for you. Um, how how do, how do you handle that? Um, well, like I said, sort of beginning emotionally, how I dealt with it was just to trade less. From a when I was trading discretionary, it was yeah. to just trade less and less size. But and, and to, I guess my question is, does it help you emotionally the fact that you, you know, you've set yourself a target which is ten percent, which is in many minds actually not a very big drawdown. So. Um, so is that also how you know you get through that period because you don't really worry about it? I mean, whether you're down eight percent or seven percent, it's it's not a big deal if I can put it that way. Yeah, I guess so. It gives me some sort of comfort knowing there is a figure. Yeah, like I said, I mean, the ten percent was more. I guess it's arbitrary. Um, obviously, if it's a managed account, you can set your leverage to what you want. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, there's some comfort there having a figure at least. Sure. How about investors? Do you think it helps them as well? The fact that you have a number, or how do you help investors through a drawdown? In your experience, I think it does help investors, although a lot of them really only are interested in the volatility. They don't actually know when you fail as a as a fund or as a program. Mm. Uh, but I, we try and get across to them that you know, if it goes too much beyond ten percent, then we're doing something wrong. So you know. It's probably time to pull your money if we if we go start going below ten percent for a very long time. Okay, uh, it's more of a, a trigger point for them to say to, they know to call it a day. Whereas if you just have a volatility target, you know where do you call it a day? At twice times volatility, two times volatility, or three times? I mean, they'll never you know almost say they'll never pull the trigger <laughs> to get out of it. But uh, at least it makes their job easier. Sure. So there's a little bit of a time-based exit for the investors as well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> now, um, Barney, what keeps you awake at night? What are what are the, just sort of finalizing the whole risk aspect, what are the risks that you worry about when you lay at home, you know, awake thinking? Or is there anything at all? No, I don't worry about the risks. I think we've done so much homework, you know, so much testing on everything that we we know 
you know, we've done a good job there. You know, we're, we're quite strict on risk. Mm. So like I said, I, I pretty much always trade on my own money. Yeah. I'm very careful and I've got a lot of my own money in the program. So, uh, you know, the, the way to combat, com- combat that is to have those processes in place and to, and to do, your, do your homework and backtesting properly. Sure. So I sleep all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Um, I want to jump to uh, uh, another topic, which is just research. We've, we touch a little bit upon it now. Investors, they uh, usually want managers to innovate, do research. On the other hand, they don't want you to change. They don't want you to, to have style drift and, and, and so on and so forth. How do you balance those two slightly contradictory objectives that people put on us? Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing is to stick within your time frame really if you stick within your time frame you don't i don't think you're gonna get too much style drift anyway right um i think that's probably the best way of approaching it this is a tough question uh i think if you if you stay in your time frame it's easy for us because we're systematic right uh, uh and we're not we're not really we don't really have any we're never really gonna have any fundamental inputs into it so i don't i think it'd be very hard for us to start having any style change anyway. Sure. And, you know, when you sit there, and I don't know whether this is exactly how the process uh, works, but when you sit and you make your hypothesis and, 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 and you're sort of kicking around in your research brainstorming meetings, what's the conversation like? What are the things that you... For example, at the moment, what what are you talking about? What are some of the themes that you are uh, uh, discussing and and finding interesting? Uh, well, one of the things at the moment we're looking at is applying a systematic way of trading to spread markets. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, but it's, it's pretty tricky. I mean, it's tricky in itself creating the data set. Um, so that's difficult, but I, I still think there's actually momentum in in, in spreads. Especially pr- proper spreads, you know, um, uh, energy energy complex, right. uh, interest rate spreads, things like that. Uh, so that we're having some sort of debate on that whether it's even worth going down the route of creating the data set because it's going to take a lot of time, but it will differentiate us. Mm. So uh, yeah, that, that's one of the areas uh, we're also trying to implement Asian markets in right. today. Okay, we've got we've got Asian markets um, on more of our sort of you know longer-ish right. uh, systems, but because uh, we need direct market access, it's been very hard, but we're, we're overcoming that now. So that's going to yeah, add a lot of different alpha to our sure. portfolio. Yeah, definitely. Do you believe that models have a certain lifespan? I mean, do, do, do some of your models um, you know, decay and stop working, and, and is that natural? Well, like I said earlier, none of them are actually decayed to the point where we've completely cut them out i said one had okay. gone to double max draw and then back through watermark so no none of, none of them actually at the moment have got to that effect okay. whether they keep it keep going in future years i have, I have no idea <laughs> no that's interesting i mean i've certainly heard from other short-term firms uh, some very big ones um, who who do see uh, model decay and actually believe that part of what their offering is to investors is, is their constant ability to innovate and come up with new ideas and new models. So, so that's a you know a refreshing point of view that you can actually have uh, you know uh, models uh, that that last for the long term as well in in the short term space, so to speak. Yeah. I want to jump to the business side of your firm and and talk to you a little bit about that. In my introduction, I mentioned that to me at least, it seems like you've gone slightly uh, a different route when it comes to uh, investors accessing your firm uh, so rather than offering funds where you know smaller investors can can jump in you seem to be focusing on on sort of the managed account route um, what led you to go in that direction and and how do you see sort of your own expansion your own diversification of your client base um, evolve from here Yeah, so actually, just to clarify there, then we actually had a commingled offshore vehicle mm-hmm. when we started, sure. uh, but we only ever got up to sort of eight million dollars in that, and it was costing us a lot of money to run every year. Yeah, and we came to the decision 
um, after trying to raise assets, it's pointless having this vehicle. Everybody wants a managed account. Everybody wants to be transparent, uh, especially on the institutional level. And it was it was pointless having that vehicle. So we made a decision to uh, ditch it. Uh, I've got no regrets about that. Um, so going forward, we'll continue to do managed accounts uh, because that's what clients wants. What wants? That's what the institutions want. In terms of who we're going to get, we we fit very well within a exi- existing bucket of CTAs because mm. we're uncorrelated to the indices. We fit well with existing uh, fund of funds of CTAs. We still do very well in a sort of macro portfolio as well. Even a portfolio of, of stocks, long only stocks, we still we fit in well. Uh, so we'll, we'll continue to approach institutions, pension funds. We've already got a pension fund mandate, so that helps mm. pass extensive DDQ tests there. So that that's sort of where we'll focus our marketing efforts sure. going forward. Have you found a great way to stand out? I know you mentioned in the beginning that you try and stand out by not just being another trend follower. Um, and that's fine. You know, obviously performance is one way of points of differentiation, but is there any other way you've found that works well when it comes to trying to, you know, in a very crowded space nowadays to attract investors' uh, attention? Yeah, so, you know, a few a few things really. Um, like you were saying earlier, we've got this, we have a quantitative approach, but we've got a nice qualitative overlay because of mine and Tim's experience trading over the years, trading discretionary very short term. Mm. Uh, and the fact that we've, we never really worked in an investment bank. So we, it was, that was actually kind of a hindrance when we first began, but as years have gone by, uh, I think we picked up a lot of credibility by trading our own money, mm-hmm. you know, or, and, and also attention to risk, having traded our own, your own money. We've always been very careful about risk. We've never had a bank's balance sheet to keep backing us and paying us a salary. We've, <laughs> you know, we've had to be very careful. I think people over the years have, got to know us and, and, and respect that, those facts. And also, I think another unique point is we, we built our own infrastructure. Nothing's off the shelf. Nothing's like what you would have in an investment, in an investment bank, for instance. It's, it's pretty much built by, by us, sure. how we want it, how, how we like it, how we want it to work. Sure, sure. Now, I know you don't have this challenge if, if you don't have a commingle fund, but I'm just curious anyway of, of, your, of your feedback and observations. Um, nowadays, when when you run a fund, and and if you are a CTA, and I can imagine in particular in the, in the case like you, you probably wouldn't be using much of the money for margin purposes uh, with the uh, level of volatility that you have. Um, what what do you do nowadays as a manager? Do you think um, you know with 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 cash? I mean, where do you park cash nowadays? Oh. That's a good question. And when we had the commingled vehicle, we would literally just put it in treasuries uh, and they were yielding nothing. But that's what was in our offering memorandum. That's what our clients wanted. Um, there really isn't much you can do. I mean, now, especially now, it must be horrendous. You're, like you said, you're, you're getting nothing, basically. Maybe maybe you're going to get negative soon. Who knows? Sure. Well, <laughs> um, in, 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 in where I'm sitting, the yields are negative. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So that's certainly uh, that's certainly a possibility. Um, I wanted to ask you a slightly different question that that uh, you know goes a little bit to you know again being an entrepreneur and so on and so forth. Uh, I mean, you seem to be a careful chap anyway, and 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 obviously you you you've mentioned you're focusing very much on the risks uh, and 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 that side of things and. Um, but there's something about being an entrepreneur. I mean, it's it is about risk taking essentially. I mean, uh, you start out by taking a certain amount of risk because you don't really have much to lose, and then a few years later you succeed um, and you build something um, which obviously is valuable. It's very natural uh, for many people to become more risk averse than and to want to protect that. Uh, I know very few managers actually who over time have continued to take the same amount of risk uh, when they started to when they are much bigger and much further into their career. Only a few names actually comes to mind. How do you 
think or is that something you've thought about um, as you've grown your firm now um, that it's something that maybe you need to consider at some point? Um, maybe I haven't really considered it. I mean, and I guess it's easier for me because I've got a systematic program. It's different. It does take a lot of the emotion out of things anyway. Like I said, you know, I know pretty much where my drawdown is. I know how much my risk is. Uh, it's very easy for me. I can, I would say sit back, but I can, I can just keep, you know, plugging away and, uh, and getting assets in and, and, and then putting more of my own capital in. Uh, but I know where the risks, I know where the drawdowns. So no, I don't find any stress there mm-hmm. going forward. It's, it's, I wouldn't say easy, but it's, it's, it's not hard for me to carry on. Sure. Sure. In terms of infrastructure and where you are today, I'm not saying that it won't change, you know, tomorrow or next year, but at the moment, do you find that people would say that there is a key man risk relating to you as a person or is there enough diversification now in your research team, your quant team that people don't consider that side of things? Because that's often a question that managers who are growing and, and, and coming up in the world, so to speak, will will be met by. Yeah, for us, yeah, not not at all really anymore. Uh, you know, we're at a good enough level now. There's eight, eight of us, three quants. Uh, we've got, like I said, we've got a backlog of ideas already in the bank. Uh, we can do loads more iterations of existing systems. Uh, there's very, very little key man risk anymore. And obviously, sure. like I said, we're going to hire a couple more quants this year. It's only going to get better. Yeah. So no, we don't really get that question sure. anymore. Sure. We talked about the volatility and the drawdowns and the emotional impact that uh, it, it it may have. And, and in your case, not so much because you have your ways of doing it. What about big swings in AUM uh, as as growing your firm? You you probably have seen some, some swings, uh, I, I would imagine. How do you handle that side of things? Well, to be honest, we've been pretty stable. It's been slow, but right. it's been been pretty stable. So we haven't had to experience that yet. Uh, so don't get me wrong; <laughs> it can still happen going forward. For sure. uh, you know, like I said, and again, it's it's important to plan your business. It's important to build up a war chest. It's important to know what you could cut it down to if you needed to. Right. You know, and we have actually thought about all those things going forward mm. before we sort of jump on to the to the next uh, section of, of questions I I wanted to ask you something and that is you know you've probably been in quite a few uh, due diligence meetings uh, over the years and 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 you know probably even more due diligence phone calls and con- conference calls um, people asking you lots of questions but what is the questions? you think that investors never ask you that you really think that they should be asking you when looking at a strategy like yours? Oh, there's been so many questions. I'm trying to think. Well, I'll say one thing. I I don't think they do enough on the background. Okay. The character of the person. Why is that important? Do you think? Well, I think it's very, the the psychological aspects and, and, and the personality of the person, like, like you were alluding to earlier, what's the probability of them, of continuing for instance that's an important factor which has never been asked mm. you know are they about to i don't know start a family or this or that you know right, these sure. things affect people and uh, i think there should be maybe a bit more profiling sure. on the on the head people possibly yeah. <laughs> well yeah absolutely i mean again it's 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 a balance isn't it because some people might find it a little bit offensive if if in a due diligence meeting you're asked you know so how many children are you planning to have in the next five yeah, years yeah well maybe <laughs> can't so, answer that question let, let me just talk to my wife and i'll get back to you on that one um, but you know um, but it's interesting because you're right i mean it is um it does play a role uh, uh, of course uh, and and i think this is also why I do what I do, which is I spend a lot of time trying to document the story uh, because I don't think you can really understand the numbers of a manager if you don't understand their story because usually there's a quite clear link between the two, yet most people, certainly in the initial phase, 
only really judge the numbers. They never get to talk to the manager and maybe even go back in 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 their in their story uh, uh, so much. Yeah, I totally agree there. Yeah. Let me jump to the last uh, section of uh, our conversation, uh, Barney. Uh, I call it general and fun, so it's a little bit, uh, you know, uh, of everything, so to speak. Um, but I wanted to ask your opinion as to what does it take to be a great trader? What are the what are some of the key traits that you need to to have in order to succeed? Ah. Uh. Yes, so I would say some sort of competitive edge. Mm-hmm. You, you, you just you want to win, basically, um, on on many levels. I think that, that that's that's got a lot to do with it. Mm. That that keeps you in the game when it's tough. Yeah, you know, that desire to win. Mm. I think that's very important. Um, and also, don't necessarily say. Well, yeah, ability to take risk, but it's, it's calculated risk. It's ability to take calculated risk and and not fret when 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 things go wrong. Mm. Um, yeah. it's, it's it's a tough question. You know, I've, like I said, I've backed a few traders over the years. Why did you uh, do that? Why did you do that? Uh just just well, just to give some guys a go mm-hmm. um, to see if I could teach some of what i was doing um it was it was i would say it was partly successful a lot of them didn't make it uh, some of them went on to make some good money uh you know i've got some mixed feelings about it what did you teach them uh when so they come to you and you decide to back them you give them some trading capital what did you teach them before the, you allowed them to to trade your money uh Very basic stuff, you know, a lot of bit about technical analysis, a um, uh, bit of fundamental analysis. It's, it wasn't too much, really. It's more about actually getting stuck in. When we had, we were lucky because we had simulators mm-hmm. back then, so so you could do a lot of work there. But uh, the biggest thing I was trying to hammer home to them was be patient. So yeah, I guess that's one thing I forgot to mention: be right. very patient, sure. really wait, <laughs> pick pick your trades because they do come along. The, the high The high risk reward trades do, uh, you know, come along now and again. Sorry, the the, yeah, sure. the probably you know you know the probability yeah. of winning comes. Yeah, they do come along. You do get some good ones, and the problem is traders get impatient. They're stuck in front of these screens. And they just put on boredom trades, mm-hmm. and and lose just trickle away money when you shouldn't shouldn't be trickling away money. You know that's so important. I also used to hammer home about cutting your losses. Mm. You know, just if it's not right, get out. If it's not going right get out mm. i mean it's, that's easy to do if you've got very small size in the markets you're trading a liquid yeah. don't get me wrong it's a different ball game if you're if you're doing shoe size in a liquid markets you know that, that's something i'm probably not an expert in sure. uh, but if you if, if it's liquid then you know chop it you can always get back in again no yeah. problem you really yeah. lost a bit of commission yeah the people who didn't make it were there any common things that was the reason why they didn't make it yeah i guess some some were i guess just scared they couldn't they couldn't increase their size they had a lot of problem mentally increasing size you know it was never a problem for me it was to me it was just numbers whatever i never yeah. really cared about the pnl it was just about oh here's whatever you're doing a 10 lot in the bund now you're doing a 50 lot in the bund now you're doing a 500 lot in the bund whatever mm-hmm. it's just a number whereas some people really associate <laughs> The trade with the actual money and what money can buy you know i hear sometimes used to hear some traders saying oh you know i could have i could have whatever bought this and that i could have bought a car for what i've lost today i never right i think i've said it once I've, in my whole entire career that oh, i could have bought this today yeah. I, i don't i try i make an effort of not associating you know the size of the trade or the loss with things in real life money equivalents in real life sure Did you always have an entrepreneurial gene? Do you think, or was that more coincidental? Uh, I don't know. Probably more coincidental. Um, I, as a kid, I wouldn't say I'd been very entrepreneurial. I hadn't set up any businesses or anything like that. 
um, you know, I had a few jobs trying to make some money, but, uh, uh, I, yeah, I didn't know that really until I got out of university. I guess my focus was always to get, go through school, get good grades, go to university and then deal with that side. Sure. But I guess uh, maybe, I guess a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, are doing it from a very young age. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and what about your own aspirations, meaning, uh, or maybe I should rephrase that, people that you aspire to as you grow your business, as you started out, looking at these firms out there, were there anyone in particular where you said, gosh, I think so-and-so is doing a great job. I would love to build a business that you know looks like this. Is there any people that you looked up to in that regard i guess if there's a few i guess i mean uh jim simmons um sure renaissance um that's an amazing business mm. how he's built it um so paul tudor jones he's you know he was in the first market wizards book sure. um i think he was in the first book was it the second book i can't remember but uh and i've got actually a friend who works there as well so it's even more interesting to me now seeing sure. how they operate Sure. And 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 uh, you know how they how they uh, allocate risk and whatnot. Who else? Uh, QIM because mm-hmm. they're 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 quite new, newish. I guess they're slightly similar to us in some respects as well. You know they've done a great job. Mm-hmm. They've grown pretty quick. Uh, yeah, so a few. I wouldn't say anyone in particular, but they're they're all great stories. They're all fascinating yeah. to watch. Absolutely. And what about, I mean, you obviously clearly uh, were inspired by the Market Wizard books uh, for good reason. What other books have inspired you, not necessarily just for trading, it could be, uh, you know, uh, other kinds of inspirations that helped you along the way? Oh, let me think. Uh, Well, in terms of other trading books, there's one called Trading in the Zone, which really addresses the psychological aspect of trading. Okay. It was very, very useful when, when I was a discretionary trader. Uh, it goes very in-depth. Um, uh, that, that's a really, really good book. Uh, okay. I've forgotten the author. I think the author's uh, I think it's Mark Douglas, possibly, sure. the top of my head. That was that was a really fascinating book. As an entrepreneur, uh, Barney, we, we have our wins, we have our failures. What's been the biggest failure for you so far? Biggest failure? Um I think not. Well, one of the biggest is probably not being at a bigger AUM now. Mm-hmm. I think I thought we would have been at a bigger AUM now, but okay. I, you know, but I've sort of realised that most of it's to do with market cycle. Sure. You know, I've learned a lot from that. You can have a great business, but if you get in the wrong time of the business cycle, you know, things are against you. So you know, I've learned a lot there from an entrepreneurial point of view. Sure. Uh, what are the failures? Um, that's about it. Not too many. I'm quite oh. pleased with the way things have gone, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's good. That's that. That's great. What's the most difficult thing that you do as a hedge fund manager or CTA? What's 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 the most challenging thing that uh, you deal with in, in nowadays? Challenging. What the things are? Things least on my order of, <laughs> of liking is probably. Um, Doing investor conferences, right? Uh, phone calls. I'd rather just be in the office, you know, helping the quants, researching new stuff. Yeah, and that's what I enjoy. And then having to go through, you know, our brochure for the hundredth right. time <laughs> over the phone is uh, is quite hard. But um, it's nice to have this interview. Actually, it's a bit, you know, it's different, breath sure. of fresh air. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't particularly like that part. We, I've got a marketing guy; he's yeah. pretty good. He, um, he he takes a lot of that work. Sure. Off me. So does the operation, uh, the co-founder Tim Marchant as well. He, sure. He, he's good there. Sure. And regulation, I guess, might also oh, be yeah. on your list. Yes, yes, that one as well. <laughs> yeah. Regulation, right. uh, due diligence documents, yeah. updating due diligence documents, sure. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, has to be done. Has to be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, based on everything you've learned to date, if you were going to start all over today, what would you do different this time? Yeah, okay. That's a good question. What, in terms of the the, the fund, the program, or trading yeah, overall? Yeah, or 
yeah, maybe. I mean, it could be pretty much anything, really. Uh, it's 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 your choice. But is there something that you feel you really learned uh, from doing it over uh, many years, where you said, yeah, you know, uh, I wish I knew that ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe our approach to the to the to the fund to the program at the beginning, we could have, I think, maybe hired more people quicker. Mm. Um, I think we could have done our pitch a lot better in hindsight. We could have marketed ourselves a lot better. We wouldn't have bothered spending all that money creating a commingled vehicle. We would just don't manage the accounts from the off. Sure, you know we we weren't really to know no. the marketplace would change like that. There's probably <laughs> loads of things if I go back and analyze it in detail. Sure. But I guess it's all hindsight, right? Right, uh, exactly. Oh, that's very true. You mentioned you have uh, children. If um, if you could pass on one of your skills to your children, what would that be? Don't be afraid to take calculated risk. Don't don't worry about failing. You know? Yeah. And why 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 is that so important? Do you think to to distill into our into our children? Uh, well, you just you'll get more out of life. You'll get further. You know, mm. it's 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 don't don't worry about failing because yeah. you, you won't learn if you if you don't fail no that that's very true now is there a fun fact barney that you can share that something that people who might even know you may not know about you <laughs> <laughs> oh dear i'm trying to think there right uh like what give me an example well i've had people who had you know skills uh, you know from imitating other people i had a very large um, um, global macro uh, guy um, saying that actually most of his ideas comes when he's taking his shower in the morning so he actually keeps uh, some kind of you know um, i don't know exactly how he does it so that he can write down his ideas while having a shower i mean some very interesting answers i can't even remember them uh, so but just something that people might not know about you something that could be Yeah, it could be funny. Could be different. I don't know. Uh, well, I want I want people to get to know you, Barney, as you can clearly yeah. hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, one ridiculous thing I'm quite good at is I can recognize a pop song very, wow. very quickly, like literally within like a couple of seconds. It's very, very weird. <laughs> okay. I just yeah, good for a pop quiz. Oh yeah, I was gonna say yeah, that's maybe that's what you should sign up for then. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'll do. Yeah, I retire. <laughs> Your investors might be a little bit shocked when they see then when they see you on a Saturday night pop quiz uh, show, um, but you never know. You never know. Mm. Now I said earlier um, in our conversation that um, you know investors when they come in uh, may not be asking you the right questions. So I'm going to turn it on myself today. Um, Is there anything that I've missed in our conversation today? Something you want to bring up so I can do justice to you and 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 to your firm? Oh, uh, I think uh, you've been pretty thorough. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've pretty much touched on everything we've done. I mean, maybe the fact that you know we've managed to go through watermark every year yeah. since since inception, albeit by not very much, but. Considering yeah. the state of the indices, I think sure. that's quite an achievement. Yeah, you know, even if our sharp ratio doesn't reflect that, is I still think it's quite a unique point to us as a program. Sure, I want to end up with something that I've not done before, so bear with me here. Um, but you mentioned, and, and and so I want to test you as well as a little bit here, Barney, if I may. Uh, you, you mentioned the thing about improving the pitch nowadays. Um, I don't know whether you tried it in London, but But recently, I, I got into this world of Uber, where you uh, can get your taxi, your Uber, <laughs> by pressing, uh, you know, uh, a button on your smartphone, and it tells you exactly when the Uber will arrive. So if you were standing on a corner with a potential investor, and you pressed your Uber button, and it says two minutes, how would you pitch your firm in two minutes to a potential investor? What's what's the real what's the real cut will Um, that you want to convey to people here that we're ending up today our conversation you want me to give you a two minute pitch no I just want to give you sort of summarize everything we've talked about so that people who have patiently been listening for two hours who may have forgotten the first part of it actually get a chance to just get your summary of you know why they should uh, why they should you know reach out to you guys okay so uh, 
So just to uh, summarize, we're a managed futures program. We're short-term in our duration. We're fully automated. We're fully auto-executed. We try and cap our drawdown to 10%, which is fairly unique. We don't just target a volatility. We've remained uncorrelated throughout our program history to the existing CTA indices. I've always traded my own money. I have careful attention to risk because I've always traded my own money. You've never had a losing year, Bart. Never had a, You need well, to mention that. We've lost a little bit on management fee, but yeah, generally never lost. Never had a losing year. Like I said, gone through water <laughs> every year. Sure. So That's there you fine. go. That's the Uber pitch. That will be the new... Uh, that wasn't exactly Uber, but we've been going for two hours now. I'm getting trained. Absolutely. And, 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 and good on you. So uh, before we finish, Barney, what's the best place where people can reach out and learn more about you guys? Yes. Yeah, so, well, you can find us on LinkedIn. We've also, we're actually redoing our website at the moment. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, c-i-technologies.com. Uh, we'll probably keep the same web domain. Uh, we're, we're doing a nice new website for people to look at as well. Uh, but a general LinkedIn is a good good way to find out about what we do. Sure. Great stuff. And of course, there will be lots of details. And of course, all the contact details will be on the show notes page for this conversation on the top traders on plot.com uh, website. So that really only leaves me, Barney, to say, you know, thank you ever so much. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, our conversation and your your uh, willingness to be transparent and open and talk about all these uh, weird and wonderful things uh, that we do in the CTA space. So uh, I appreciate that. And I uh, I look forward to catching up and, and checking in on what what great work you do and, and wish you all the all the best. Great. Thank you very much. It's been good. Excellent. Fun. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.